I've got the God English spelling. Ooh, I've got a massive edict. I've heard that. there. Welcome to Date Fights. Hello. If you haven't heard it before, well, yes. it's a fun little podcast uh, where we take the greatest moments that occurred on this day in history, we pitch them against each other. Yes, he's Jake Yap, I'm Nat Tapley, and together we have plucked two of the most historical clouds from the sky and are comparing their shapes to see which contains the most amusing things that aren't really there. <laughs> I'm looking out my window, could you tell? Oh, right, that's, yeah, grasping for anything <laughs> at all. Uh, desk, coffee, yeah, anything. My own Brilliant. horrified face. <laughs> Reflected slightly in the glass. <laughs> I'm Edward Monks the Scream, and he's Edward Monks the Scream, and together we are screaming. Round one. Yes, I'm going to take you to the 27th of February, 380. Oh. Now, you may remember on Sunday we talked about the persecution of the Christians. Well, by 380, that was all over. There was the Edict of Thessalonica, which the three emperors of the Roman Empire made the state religion into Christianity. Hooray for the Christians! Having persecuted them, yep. um, it was now the official religion of the Roman Empire. All four of you, come back, come back! That sounds like good news, <laughs> except it wasn't for all Christians. It was just for a certain type of Christian, and all the rest should be persecuted even more. How? Mm. So in the Council of Nicaea in 325, that's when the Christians got together, all the Nicene Christians got together, and decided what was Christianity and what wasn't. And that's when they decided to leave out lots of other bits, which we now call the Gnostic texts or Apocrypha. And they went, no, those bits aren't real. Those bits are, those bits are clearly rubbish. And there were other gospel, whole other Gospels, which they just left out. Because they went, no, that's not believable. <laughs> no that's one's going to believe that. <laughs> it's exactly what they did. There's the Gospel of the Infant Christ, which had baby Jesus striking dead other children who wanted to play with his toys. They left that one out, didn't they? Didn't keep that one in. Oh. There was the Gospel of Thomas, which was essentially just a list of things Thomas said he'd heard Jesus say, um, <laughs> most of which weren't very nice. <laughs> His Jesus wasn't a very nice person, so they left that one out. Um, yes, there are lots of others. So they went, no, that's not real Christianity. Real Christianity is these clearly, um, these things that make a lot of sense, like the walking on water and catching lots of fish. Yeah, and that's believable. crucified and coming back to life. That's the real stuff. There was another Gospel that said Jesus wasn't crucified, or he rather he convince someone else to take his place on the cross while he emigrated to the south of France. That makes sense. <laughs> makes more sense than getting crucified. That's a much more sort of Johnsonian uh, interpretation of Jesus, isn't it? <laughs> yes, absolutely. He didn't bother turning up. He just sent yeah. someone else. <laughs> so those were the other kinds of Christianity, which included Aryan Christianity, which was particularly widespread, which said that Jesus probably wasn't oh. uh, part of God. He was just essentially like the Muslim, uh, like Islam thinks that... Um, uh, Jesus was just a messenger or a prophet. Uh, Arian Christianity said, yeah, well, he's clearly not God, is he? He was a person. We could see him. Um, and that was very popular in the Eastern Empire. So essentially, the Edict of Thessalonica, which made Nicene Christianity the state religion, was also an excuse to go and persecute other sorts of Christians that they didn't like. Which, in any religion, is always the best bit. That's the good it? bit. That's the fun bit. Yeah. Yeah. Burnings. I'm going to take you to the 27th of February, 1812. Ooh. And poet Lord Byron gives his first address as member of House of Lords. And this was a speech he gave in defence of Luddite violence against industrialism. Hooray! In Nottinghamshire, where he lived. 
I mean, that sort of takes a bit of the sparkle off Byron, doesn't it? Where did he live? Nottinghamshire. Oh, yeah, but in those days... In those days, it was all manufactories. Well, in that, well, yes, and he was very upset about that. Mm. So, at the time, the Prime Minister was Spencer Percival, and he was trying to push through a bill that was going to make machine-breaking a capital offence. Mm. And Byron was like, no, this is all bad, and you know, I hate it. <laughs> And this was before he was a famous poet. Yeah. This was two weeks before his first big hitter, straight in at number one, uh, Child Harold's Pilgrimage was published. Mm. So he said that uh, the recent acts of violence, people smashing up uh, industrial machines, were the product of circumstances of the most unparalleled distress. Yeah. He really, he was very anti-industrialisation and uh, he lost. Uh, it didn't work. And the following year, there were executions. Oh. Uh, for people who had smashed up machines, including a 12-year-old called Abraham Charleston. I don't think a 12-year-old could smash up a 19th century machine. They were pretty heavy things. They were, yeah, if you've been to the Science Museum, they were pretty yeah. insane. What's that? This four-year-old destroyed Iron Bridge. Yeah, but he was the wrong kind of Christian, mate. So, oh, OK. <laughs> other, other Luddites were deported to Australia. Insert whatever joke you want to do there. And yeah, easy. Yes, he, he wrote about it. Later on, Byron. I didn't know that Lord Byron was the origin of the phrase mad, bad and dangerous to know. Yes. Lady yeah, Caroline Lamb described him as that. But that was when he'd been to Greece, wasn't it? He went to... Um, yeah. yeah. He said, uh, yeah, also uh, the expression, what happens in Carvos. <laughs> that was another one of his. <laughs> Happy birthday to Alice Hamilton, born in 1869, who was an American physicist and a leading expert in occupational health. Uh, she died in 1970, but a few weeks later, America passed the Occupational Safety and Health Act, which ensured that toxic chemicals could no longer be used in your workplace. Hooray! Happy birthday to Bertha Pappenheim, the founder of the Jewish Women's Association in eight, uh, 19th century Vienna. She was also a patient about whom Freud wrote, so that's how we know so much about her. That's Bertha Pappenheim from 19th century Vienna. Happy birthday to Thomas Hazelhurst, exactly one of those 19th century industrialists Byron hated so much. <laughs> he made the 20th best soap manufactory in Cheshire and was a huge encourager of Methodism. Happy death day to Boris Nemtsov. He was meant to be the successor to Boris Yeltsin. He thought he was going to be, but then Putin got it there instead just at the end. Um, he was a constant critic of Vladimir Putin and found himself weirdly dead of being shot in the back four times on a bridge <laughs> in 2015. Weird. That's bizarre. It is. His enemies do keep catching that particular disease of getting shot in the back, don't they? Yeah. It's... I mean, let's not say anything about it, though. Let's, you know. No. We're very pro that here. Happy death day to Leonard Nimoy. He was a Vulcan and he had odd-shaped ears. That was about... It didn't really. His ears were, I think, normal, but big, I suppose, by the end. By the time people were old, they, their ears just keep getting bigger, don't they? But eyebrows. I imagine he was mainly ears. Yeah, I think they grow downwards, though, don't they? They, don't, they grow upwards. Oh. <laughs> Unless you're in zero G. Maybe it's that. He was really old, but his ears grew in zero G. Because <laughs> he was in space. Yeah. Happy death day to Louis Vuitton. He died in 1892 and he made bags for... He made old bags for all, but that's not nice. I can't say that. <laughs> <laughs> Happy death day. To Louis Vuitton. If you care about the fact that his initials are on your bag, good for you. Good for you. <laughs> <laughs>
I'm going to go to the 27th of February, uh, 1953. Mm. And uh, there's a proposal to simplify English spelling. Oh. Uh, and it's going through Parliament and it clears its second hurdle. Oh, really? Uh, there's a second debate and 65 to 53, they approved the Simplified Spelling Bill. Mm. Uh, this was a private member's bill introduced by a Labour MP called Montfolic. I can't think why. <laughs> is, that, is that two names or is that one? <laughs> he was anxious that people spelled <laughs> names right. Montfolic. Right. And he in, introduced this simplified system of spelling. So much, sim- so much simpler. Okay. Mm. Instead of teaching children 26 letters and sounds. Yes. Simplify. Simplify. Yeah. Have 44 what? <laughs> Make them learn 44 symbols and sounds. Right. Yes? Yeah. Okay. Then, when they're seven, get rid of the 18 new ones that you put in there <laughs> and teach them how to make it. Yes? Simpler. <laughs> yeah. Simplified. This was based wow. on... It was a guy called James Pittman uh, who devised the system. Oh, the shorthand man. Yes. Uh, it was called the Initial Teaching Alphabet. Mm. And it was his grandfather who began uh, a movement called the New Spelling. N-U-E, Spelling. It's the New Spelling, guys. Spelled as it soon. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) And uh, they thought this this would be really, really great. Uh, Although quite a few people, because they they trialled it in some schools in the 60s. Mm. And uh, one former pupil says, I suffered from uh, the ITA, the initial teaching alphabet, for my first few years at school with the consequence that at the age of seven I could barely read or write. Oh, good. Uh, it was not very successful. No. But in a way, we're sort of, you know, phonics is 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 kind of that. It's just that we're not trying to teach children 18 redundant new <laughs> symbols that they then have to dismantle the apparatus off in their heads at the age of seven. So would this bill have changed the spelling of every word in the country? Yes. <laughs> I mean, that's bound to be the best solution to some minor inconsistencies that some people struggle with. <laughs> Is to change an entire language by diktat centrally for an entire population. Mate, it's all emojis now anyway, so do you know what I mean? Precisely, we voluntarily change the language ourselves into GIFs. We're going to heal in a hand card. <laughs> also, presumably that wouldn't have applied in any of the countries that spoke English but were now Commonwealth countries or independent. Well, So we would have lost the ability to speak to Americans. There, there, were, there, which, there were some former pupils who said, you know, this did not work in places like Wales or Scotland where people had accents. You know, it was just right. impossible. Unworkable. It's those places that they've got the accents. We sound fine. <laughs> I'm not saying that, Nat. Don't paint me as a racist. <laughs> just saying, bear that in mind when you come to vote today, people. Such was the Anglo-centric view in the... Sing- oh, just get on with yours. I, I, I'm out. I'm out. I yes, don't care. Okay. I'm not doing this anymore. Take the 27th of February 1860. Uh, Abraham Lincoln's Cooper Union speech in New York. Cooper Union was uh, an interesting place. It's still there. You can go and see Cooper Union. It's on Cooper Square in the East Village. And it's a free school. It was set up as a free school by Mr. Cooper, who only himself had a year's schooling, but built America's first steam railroad engine. He made a fortune with a glue factory and iron foundry, and he was an industrialist and inventor and wanted other people to have access to the sort of education he wished he had. So he made Cooper Union a free school teaching technical... Um, subjects of the arts in New York. Now, Abraham Lincoln went there in 1860 
as a regional politician and gave a speech which changed his fortunes because in 1860 um, they were in pretty much the same state of the presidential race as we are now this year in the end of February and there were a few people knocking around who they thought could be the eventual nominee uh, but Abraham Lincoln with this one speech he converted himself in the words of Harold Holzer from a regional politician um, a frontier debater and chronic jokester into the front runner for the Republican presidency, which he eventually won in May, and he was elected in the November, which led to the Civil War, but then the ending of slavery. So swings and roundabouts. <laughs> yeah, Cooper Union uh, changed the fate of the American of America in the nineteenth century, and possibly ended slavery. Oh yeah, well I'm sure that's much more significant than mine. No, no, no. Whatever. Yours was no, greed. I'm done with today. No, I, you know what? I'm done. <laughs> I'm oot. How do you want me to spell that on the poll? I don't care. P O A L. Right. Okay. That's it. <laughs> very much it for today. Uh, thank you very much. Uh, you should probably <laughs> vote. Although I'm going to say, do you know what? Don't vote. It's a waste of your time. Don't don't bother. Don't bother today. No, don't need to vote today. <laughs> Stay home. Nah, just uh, have a break. I'd say if you do have a friend, you can drive old people to the polls. You can always get involved in getting just, out the vote no, today. Just, just it's never been just more important. Have a break. Most no, important, no, it's not. Uh, no, they fight poll no, in living no, history. <laughs> See you tomorrow. Bye. Bye. <laughs> See you tomorrow. Bye. <laughs> 